This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Hello, everybody. Great to have you with us again. I want to talk a little bit about this Supreme Court decision not to take the case that Texas wanted the court to take in order to challenge California over its 2016 law saying we're not going to allow state-sponsored travel to conservative states that quote-unquote discriminate against the LGBT community. Now, we know everything that they say, not just California, but the sexual radicals. They're always using newspeak. So you always have to decode the language. What's going on basically was California, about four and a half years ago, had passed this law. They didn't want anybody to go to any state that really upheld religious freedom. That's basically what the bottom line is. They don't want Jack Phillips, the Colorado Christian baker who has faced all kinds of legal action over saying, no, I don't want to make your gay wedding cake. They don't want those kinds of people to have any rights under the First Amendment because they just don't. And so you had all kinds of horrendous treatment against Jack Phillips, and he did win a narrow victory at the Supreme Court, as you'll recall. But there are lots of other Jack Phillips types out there, Christians who have worked in the wedding industry and photographers and bakers and and on and on and on. We've covered so many of those cases over the years in which Christians say, hey, I don't want to support this faux marriage that you call gay marriage. I'm not into it, man. This is my business. I'm a Christian and I want to operate according to my biblical convictions. And oh, yes, under the Bill of Rights, I have the ability to do that. Why? Because my rights come from God, according to our founders, and they were completely correct. Well, the LGBT radicals don't like that. They hate Christianity. They hate Christians. They hate biblical morality. They hate the Bible. That's why they're trying to deconstruct absolutely all of it. And if you won't go along with their deconstruction, they will try to destroy you in court or any other way that they possibly can in order to take your rights away from you. So this is what's going on. And Texas was one of the 12 states on the restricted list in California. They wanted to go directly to the Supreme Court and challenge California on this. And the court wouldn't take the case. They would not take the case. And here's what's interesting. Bloomberg reports that the court as a whole made no comment, but Justices Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas said they would have let Texas press its challenge. The two reiterated their view that the court has no discretion to turn away a state that is attempting to sue another. So what happened here? A little intimidation? Gee, Supreme Court, nice court you have there. It would be a shame if anything happened to it if you went the wrong way on LGBT rights. I think there's some intimidation going on. I just do. Writing for the two, Alito said Texas was raising a number of novel constitutional claims in its lawsuit. And he said, although he expressed no view regarding any of those claims, he respectfully dissented from the court's refusal even to permit the filing of Texas's complaint. See, this is what's gone on in the last 20 years. You have taken a fringe movement 
of sexual radicals and they've been mainstreamed and they outlined exactly how they would do it in that late 80s book called After the Ball, which I find curiously, it's very, very difficult to obtain a copy of that book. I think if you go on Amazon, you could get a copy for like three or four hundred bucks. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Their manual on how to upend a culture is just not in print and you just can't find it. It's not on Kindle. At least last time I looked, it wasn't. I just find that interesting. The law has forced California state employees, as well as students and scholars at public universities, to scrap plans to attend conferences in the affected states. It doesn't affect trips that use private funds. Well, of course it couldn't. I shouldn't say that. It is California. California put Texas on the prohibited list after Texas passed a law that lets foster care and adoption organizations refuse to work with same-sex couples on religious grounds. Okay, let's let's decode this wrong. What they're saying is if you are a Christian foster care in particular, I mean, it could be Jewish as well, but if you're a Christian foster care or adoption organization, nobody should be able to force you to put a child in a home with a homosexual couple. Why? Because you believe as a Christian, first of all, it's wrong. Second of all, it's not a family. They would ideally like to place these children in an actual family with a mother and a father, and they should be able to do that. It's in the best interest of the child, and it's within the rights of the, of the foster care and adoption agencies. This is why the LGBT activists have gone after these Christian organizations so hard for so long. Anybody who doesn't want to yield ground to them, oh, you're next. You're next. Texas told the Supreme Court California is violating multiple constitutional provisions, including the Commerce and Equal Protection Clauses, and the travel policy damages its hotels and restaurants, which ultimately leads to decreased tax revenue. The other states involved here are Alabama, Kansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Oklahoma, North Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, South Carolina, Idaho, and Iowa, and God bless them. Texas argued in court papers, California's travel ban is an affront to the sovereignty of Texas, as well as the 10 other states that California has blacklisted. It was 10 before Idaho was added to the list. So this is your Supreme Court, folks. And I've said this from the beginning, when Gorsuch was put on that court, I didn't say so at the time because I just didn't. It's like, okay, whoever is put on the court by Trump is going to be better than anybody a progressive would put on. But I'm looking at Gorsuch and I'm going, all right, uh, he's an Episcopalian. You know what? I'm sorry, but Episcopalians are totally pro-rainbow flag. And I thought the, the, the LGBT issue is going to be an issue with this man. He may be good on other issues. He may be an originalist on other issues. And yay, that's great. But what happens with the LGBT issue? I am telling you, I've said this for a long time. That is the issue that almost everybody is too scared to stand up to. Well, they'll do a little bit of the transgender stuff, but they don't want to stand up against this agenda. Now you can see what's happening. You get to a point where you have a state that wants to directly challenge another state before the Supreme Court. And these guys are too chicken to take the case. I'm going to say that because that's what I think is going on. I think they're too chicken to take it because they might actually have to apply the law as it is on the books and the Constitution as written. And it would go against the sexual radicals and they don't want to suffer the wrath of them. And they don't want to have to face their friends at the cocktail parties who are all on board with the rainbow flag and they don't want to lose friends. Tell me this doesn't go on. Look at John Roberts, case closed. And meanwhile, you have this story via PJ Media having to do with an LGBT activist urging the government of the UK to fight the pernicious power of prayer. Yeah. You know, it's getting nuts out there because here's the thing. It's all about God 
in the end. It's all about having a holy creator who has created us male and female and has dictated that marriage is between one man and one woman and they are in utter rebellion against him, these activists. So they have to go after those who represent Jesus Christ, right? As the world hated me, it will hate you. That's what the Lord told us. Matthew Hinman, co-founder of this group, Ban Conversion Therapy, this is over in Great Britain, took to the independent to argue for a ban on conversion therapy, which, by the way, there's no such thing. He claimed 2% of LGBT people experience conversion therapy and 5% have been offered. He said his own experience of getting expelled from his church and losing his missionary job due, due to his open homosexual identity and his refusal to undergo conversion therapy. Okay, well, I don't know what happened with his church, but if you're openly homosexual and engaging in homosexual practice, the church has a duty to expel you because that's what the Bible says. It has to do with church discipline. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, go back to some of those passages and what it has to say about sexual sin and the importance of keeping the church as pure as possible and and saying to those who you have to discipline, repent and come back. We're not trying to kick you out. We want you to repent and have a restored fellowship with the Lord. And if you're refusing that, you know, what's the issue? Well, here's what he says. Those who resist legislation against conversion therapy often resist the idea of a prayer or a pastoral conversation being subject to the scrutiny of law. However, if these things take place in an overwhelmingly homophobic or transphobic context, the pernicious power of prayer must be dealt with. Oh, yes, you must deal with those pernicious prayers. And I'm telling you what, it's not going to stay in the UK. It's not staying in the UK. Worse things are ahead, church. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I think you have to decide early on whether or not you are going to stand for the truth and tell people the truth in love and not give an inch. Why? Because the Lord is holy and we are to fear him. It's this William Grinnell's quote, long ago, this Puritan who said, the man who properly fears God will fear nothing else. Easier said than done, but that needs to be the goal of every Christian. Because it's important for us to remember, we have an obligation to follow Jesus Christ wherever he goes by the power of his word. And that's a very, very significant reminder that I think we all need. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. We're going to go to a break and we'll come back right after this. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new healthcare program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT.
After taking the morning-after pill, this mom immediately felt sick and nauseated as she tried to end her pregnancy. While searching for medical care, she found a preborn center where she hoped to rule out that she was pregnant. I had an ultrasound done right then and there. After hearing the baby's heartbeat, I instantly thanked God and said, may your will be done, Lord. I'm seven months pregnant now. I thank God every day for my little miracle. Preborn centers are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in America, introducing moms in crisis to the life growing inside of them and sharing the the gospel in action. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. Will you join Preborn in the cause for life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. 855-402-BABY. Or there's a Preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Just how radical is President Biden? All you have to do is watch what he's been doing during his first 100 days in office, and you'll be able to see it for yourself. He wants to pack the Supreme Court. Well, he kind of admits to that, but we see what's going on. He wants to make D.C. its own state and gut our election system, among other things. And from all appearances, the American people are not even wanting his agenda. In the end, as my next guest says, we're seeing an agenda playing out that jeopardizes our very stability as a nation. And I couldn't agree more. We're going to talk about it now with Jenny Beth Martin, who is co-founder and national coordinator of the Tea Party Patriots and has written a great piece about this over at The Washington Times. Jenny Beth, it's great to have you with us. How are you today? I am great. It's so good to be with you. Well, thank you for being here. Talk about the radicalism of Joe Biden. This is giving me flashbacks here to the Obama administration. We used to talk about him. Now we're talking about Biden. How would you compare these two presidents on the radical scale? Well, I think if... um, uh, Obama was going 150 miles per hour. Biden's going 300 miles per hour. It's it, it is um, just he he has the pedal to the metal and he is not slowing down at all. The the things that he wants to do are just shocking and alarming. Defunding the the. the listening to the desire to defund and dismantle the the police, playing nice with Iran. Um, Government spending is at an all-time high. He wants to pack the Supreme Court, even though he's he's shading that so it seems like he just wants a commission. He has re-entered the Paris Accord, pulled ended the Keystone Pipeline, immediately killing thousands of jobs. The list goes on and on and on. Well, you're right. And and he also wants us to have one hamburger a week, too. That's one of his climate change dreams, which I think everybody will just love, right? We all want one patty a week, one hamburger patty. That's going to suffice for every American under Joe Biden's scheme. If you want to be the communist states of America instead of the United States of America, I think that that would be great. But in America, we have the freedom to pick what food we want. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, let's talk about some of these because you make a really good point. I want to drive this home because it's something you mentioned in your article, which I think it bears uh, discussion, which is this meeting that Biden had with these presidential historians in March. And you say this might have been his most important day in office. He was talking about other presidents and the agendas they had. Why would you say that might have been his most important day in office? Well, he met with these historians because he wanted to find out they were discussing some of his admired predecessors and his admired predecessors are Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson. And they um, listening to the historians 
talk about those two former presidents, it reinforced his his desire to think big and go big on a policy that honestly a policy, a policy agenda that would put those two to shame. Roosevelt created the created Social Security, and Johnson created Medicare, which have grown the size and scope of government in ways I don't even think they ever could have imagined. But Biden wants to go even bigger than that. And so he's looking at what they did and trying to figure out how can he do what they did and more. And I I think it is what he will wind up doing is going to grow are the uh, the radical agenda in this country growing the size of government in ways that would completely change the political game? Man, and it, and it's terrible. That, yeah, go ahead. It, it is. I see that because he's he's sending a message to the Supreme Court right now with this commission that he's set up. He's saying, "Oh, we need to study whether we want to add add justices to the Supreme Court." But it's sort of a veiled threat to the Supreme Court as well. If you don't do what I want and you don't rule the way I want, I'm going to change the Supreme Court in ways that you can't even imagine. Yes. Um, the the H.R. 1, the Corrupt Politicians Act, that would federalize every election in this country. It would be a federal government takeover of elections. And our taxpayer dollars would wind up giving a six-to-one match to every donation that a politician receives, whether we agree with the politician or not, whether we want to fund that or not, they would get it. Uh, he's... He, in in doing that and in taking over the elections in such a way, if that were to become law, it fundamentally changes the way that our country votes, the way that we elect those who will represent us. Yeah, it's so corrupt. And and think about this. I know a lot of people will put two and two together, but if Biden really obtained 81 million votes, why do they have to do this to the election system? They should be delighted with the results because all of these states that were up in the air and all of these allegations of fraud, uh, which I believe did take place, uh, it's nothing to worry about, right, Jenny Beth? Why in the world would they have to go forward with HR one if they feel so confident that the American people love the Democrats? Right, and that is exactly right. Well, they want to make sure that they can do those same kind of funny techniques that we saw play out in states like where I live in Georgia, around the entire country, mm-hmm. and and they want. A lot of people are saying, and I agree with this. We want it to be easy to vote and hard. To cheat, you would not even have to worry about that um, if this passes, because you wouldn't even be able to detect cheating. They would be able to get whatever they want, um, because voter voter registration would be automatic based on government databases. And we learned in Georgia from Trump's lawsuit in Georgia that there are real problems with government databases in this country. Um, you would have, there's no voter ID not to cast a ballot and not to register. So you just go in and say you are who you say you are and you live where you say you live and you can cast a ballot and it will be illegal for any of us to challenge the voter rolls. <sighs> it, it, it's going to be a huge mess if that becomes law. Well, and it really bugs me, going back to what you were discussing with this presidential historian meeting, when Biden is sitting around talking about his most admired predecessors and he wants to go big, it's all about him. It's not about the country. If he wanted to go big on something instead of going big on out-of-control spending and all of these other insane policies, you should go big on border security, go big on supporting law enforcement, go big on American ideals, go big on fiscal control of government so they're not 
you know, t- tipping us over the edge. I mean, just the trillions of dollars that this federal government is spending. It's uh, there's got to be a tipping point here, Jenny Beth. And this is going back to the original Tea Party movement, which you know all about. And I was on board completely with this whole thing. We cannot do this. The country will collapse if we keep going this route. We, it, you are exactly right. And what it, one of the most disturbing things that I've, I've seen Biden do was that um, meeting with world leaders on Zoom where he was wearing the, the mask. Oh, were kind yes, of, yes. You know, we're making fun of them for that. But the thing is that it's really important about that particular meeting is that he he's saying he's telling all these world leaders, America's going to reduce manufacturing. We're going to have fewer jobs in this country. We're going to have a smaller gross domestic product. And we're going to do all this in the name of carbon emissions and, and getting control of ga- greenhouse gases. Meanwhile, China's like, well, we're we're not even done increasing how much emissions we have. We're going to ramp it up and we're going to keep going. Yeah. So he's saying we're essentially what he's saying is America will lag and we will no longer lead. I, I think that if you actually want to go big, go big on America first policies. Put America and Americans first, and you will be a president who leaves an amazing legacy and will be admired by future generations. You drive this country into bankruptcy, and that is not the kind of reputation and legacy you want to leave. Here, here. I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, it's funny. When I was looking at some of the polling on some of this agenda that he's implementing, for example, this idea of making Washington, D.C. the 51st state and possibly Puerto Rico. Rico as well. Next, among all Americans, a slim plurality plurality of 36% support statehood for both D.C. and Puerto Rico. That is not an overwhelming supportive number for the statehood of D.C. or Puerto Rico. And the same is true with the court packing. Most Americans do not support packing the Supreme Court, but they don't care. What I don't understand, though, Jenny Beth, maybe you have some insight into this. When you see these kinds of polling numbers, why aren't Americans yelling and screaming and pushing back in greater numbers than they are. Why are we all so apathetic and sitting back and saying nothing about all of this? Well, I don't think I I would challenge that. I think that Americans are pushing back in light of what's happened in the last year and a half with COVID. There are people who um, they're afraid. And I I can I I respect where they are coming from. So I, I, I hope that more Americans will quit being afraid. And I've been urging that for well over a year, but I understand also where they are at. So with that being said, what we need to make sure that we're doing, whether you're gathering in, in groups together, whether you're ha- having signs outside or whether you are just picking up the phone every single day and letting your elected official know yeah. what you want to happen and what you don't want to happen, all of this is important. And then the other thing is we there are some things that we're going to be able to achieve in the next two years and a lot we are not going to be able to achieve. We need to keep the filibuster in place in the Senate. And that is the, if you can't make any other phone calls to your senators, you should be calling every single week about keeping the filibuster in place. Good. And then go get involved with candidates who share your values, who want to put America and Americans first. We need that at the state and at the local level, not just in Washington, D.C. We've seen because of COVID what happens when a federal, when the local government has so much control. They can make our lives pleasant or they can make them miserable. And we need more people in those offices who do not want to indoctrinate our children and turn our children against us and who love the 
Constitution and love America. Well, right. We need to keep our eyes on the midterms, and that's what we really need to be about. And, and in the meantime, what do you think is the top thing we ought to be paying attention to in terms of this agenda, the, the court packing or H.R. 1? Um, I think that court packing is very concerning, but the number one thing that we have to do is keep the filibuster in place. We need to be bucking up Senators Manchin and Kristen Sinema. They may not always vote the way we want, but they are holding firm on the filibuster, and the filibuster is honestly on the front line of defending our republic right now. So we need to do all we can to to help those senators stay strong so that H.R. 1 doesn't pass, so that um, more infringement on the Second Amendment doesn't pass, so that that the things that are not spending related, because they're going to find a way to spend money, but the things that change policy and law in the country, that we are doing all we can to prevent to prevent those things from happening. Very good. Well, Jenny Beth Martin from Tea Party Patriots, we really appreciate you, Jenny Beth. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You bet. Take care. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. I have to be honest, there really isn't a day that goes by that I don't pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That's exactly what he promised to do also in Revelation 22 when he said, yes, I am coming soon. Now, no man knows the day or the hour that Jesus will return. He said only the Father knows that. But we can also be aware of the signs that will precede his coming, including the completion of the Great Commission, because the Lord told us in the Olivet Discourse that this is one of the signs among many that the end of the age is near when he said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. How close are we to getting the gospel out to the entire world and subsequently to the return of the Lord Jesus? We're going to talk about it today with Douglas Cobb. He is the managing partner of the Finishing Fund, whose mission is to make disciples of every nation by the end of 2022. And he is out with a new book, and then the end will come, the completion of the Great Commission and nine other clues that Jesus is coming soon. Doug, it's great to have you with us. Thanks so much for being here. Janet, thank you for having me. It's great to be on. Thank you. It's very exciting, and I would say also sobering, to consider that the Lord's return could be very soon. What is your take on where we could be right now in relation to the return of Christ? Well, the the thing that got me thinking about this is the the work that I get to do day-to-day in leading the finishing fund, which is um, working really hard to get the gospel to the last few biblical nations, people groups on earth that have never heard it. Of about 12,000 people groups on earth, there may be only a few hundred that have never heard it. There have never been any believers in those groups, no churches, no presence of the gospel at all. But we're rocketing toward getting that finished. And 
you know, I, I see every day how the progress is being made, how much closer we're getting. And as you said in the introduction, I believe it's possible by God's grace that every biblical nation will be engaged with the gospel by the end of next year. It, it might take a little longer than that, but we're really, really close. Things are moving really fast. That is really amazing. You know, you see some of these news reports about the state of Bible translation and how we're making progress in that area. Talk mm-hmm. a little bit, if you would, because I find this really interesting when you're talking about the fact that there are only a few hundred people groups left on earth who have not heard the gospel. How do you reach them? Is this a matter of sending missionaries, getting Bibles to them? How is the work being done, in other words? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, it, it, one of the things that's exciting about this is it, it's different from the way you might expect. The Virtually every one of the missionaries we're supporting through the Finishing Fund who are doing this last bit of the work are national workers. So these are Indians going to Indian people groups, Laotians going to Laotian people groups, and so on. Yeah. It's not the, the folks you picture, you know, on your refrigerator at home. Those folks have important work to do. We work with a lot of Westerners, but that the actual work of engagement is done by these near culture workers who are, they're not in the exact same culture as the group they're trying to engage, but they're close. Right. And right. they usually share a language. It may not be either of their heart languages, the language they learned from their mother uh, when they were babies, but it's a language that they use in trade and commerce, and it's a sufficient bridge for, for starting the work. That is so neat. And of course, using nationals has been a very effective strategy for reaching certain people groups across the world. And I think that's a great strategy. Yeah. How do you know that the end of 2022 is a possibility? In other words, how do you look at the progress and say at the rate we're going, we'll be able to get these people reached in that amount of time? How do you measure that? We work um, with very closely with an organization called Finishing the Task. That organization was started by my mentor, a fellow named Paul Eshelman, who was for a long time the leader of the Jesus Film Project, and then when he left that, started FTT. They publish a list, an actual list of what they believe to be the remaining unengaged groups in the world. When Paul started FTT in 2005, there were 3,500 people groups on that list. So out of 12,000 people groups in the world, there were 3,500 that had no gospel witness. Today, that official list has fewer than 160 groups on it. Wow. Now, there are a few more that we know about because as you go to the edges, you find a few that nobody knew about before. So it, that 159 is not quite the right number, but it's, like I say, not more than a few hundred. And just to give you a sense of scale, just in the first quarter of this year, um, through the finishing fund, we underwrote the engagement of 51 new people groups. So the the work is proceeding at a very, very rapid pace. That is exciting. That's really exciting. Yeah. Oh, man, it's it's fantastic to hear about the progress that's being made and to to just imagine that the Great Commission could potentially be fulfilled in our lifetime. It's just mind blowing. But again, it goes back to one of the signs that Jesus talked about that we're close to the end of the age. And I know that you talk about a number of other clues. What other signs are you looking for when you're gauging whether or not the Lord may come back in our lifetime? Well, the the one you mentioned is the one that I, you know, am most focused on and the one that really motivates me and my work, and that is that he linked his return directly to the completion of the Great Commission. You know, as I've been saying, we may be only a couple years away from seeing every people group engaged, but 
even if you look at other p- potential finish lines like Bible translation, the smart guys that are working on that uh, say that they have a goal of 2033 for the Bible to be in every language. If you talk to the people that are planning churches, trying to get a church in every village around the world, they have some goals that begin in as early as 2025 for seeing that completed. So, you know, really by any measure you use, um, we're very close, you know, even even if 10 years is the distance, it's still very close. And so that's really the one that got me thinking about this subject. And then uh, being kind of a Bible nerd, I, I wondered if there were other clues that might similarly, you know, suggest that we're living in the time of the Lord's return. And that's the the other nine clues that I discovered were, you know, the result of that research. Well, right. For example, you talk about the regathering of Israel, and everybody will mention this yes. when they're talking about Bible prophecy, 1948, sure. the significance of, of Israel, you know, becoming the homeland again for Jews from across the world, and, and things like rebuilding the temple, those sorts of things. But you also mentioned the prophecies of Daniel 12. What are you talking about there? Yeah, Daniel 12 is a very, very important chapter. It's a really cool chapter in the Old Testament. I, I love the book of Daniel. And there, there are a couple of prophecies that we talk about from that chapter about the end times. One of them is found in um, Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, that various translations handle it different ways, but essentially they say that movement and knowledge will increase at the time of the end. And in the book, we go into looking at that and just thinking about that. You know, we take for granted that we hop on a jet airplane and fly across the ocean and can, you know, go anywhere in the world in a day or two. But really, you know, that's something that is breathtakingly recent in human history until maybe 1800. The fastest anybody had gone was the you know speed of a galloping horse. So, you know, within just a couple hundred years uh, of time, we've gone from say, 30 miles an hour to 600 miles an hour. And as a result of that, travel has increased dramatically. Same thing with knowledge. You know, I don't have to tell you what the Internet has done for that and, the, you know, the speed of increasing knowledge. It's spectacular. And it's just interesting to me that when the angel is telling Daniel about the time of the end, he just kind of casually drops in this little hint that one of the characteristics of that time will be travel, increased travel and knowledge. And, you know, we see it happening in spades in our, in our, in our time. That's amazing. It, it just confirms the veracity and the reliability and the authority of Scripture, doesn't it? When you see these things from so long ago, these prophecies, especially in the Old Testament, that are absolutely accurate. It's just, it, it just yeah. makes me thrilled to, to read these again and to say, Lord, every promise that you've made has come true and these will too. It's scary but it's also exciting. We look at that actually in in one of the chapters of the book. We look at the Daniel chapter 9 prophecy of the 70 weeks, which I believe, and I try to make the case in the book, that it exactly predicted the timing of the first coming of the Messiah. Yes. And then we go over to Daniel chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, very enigmatic prophecy at the end of that uh, chapter about 1,290 days and 1,335 days. Very, very mysterious. But I'm inclined to think that God also revealed to Daniel the timing of the second coming. And that's, in fact, what we find in that 1290-1335 prophecy. We go through that in the in the book, trying to make sure we understand what that means. Well, that's something I want to pick up on. We're going to go to a short break. We'll be back with Douglas Cobb. And then The End Will Come is the name of his book. We'll come back on Janet Meffer today.
Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We don't know when the Lord Jesus will return, but we know that he will return. And we have all sorts of evidence from Scripture that there are many signs to look for. We don't know the exact day or hour, but we do know what the signs are. One of them is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And that's something I'm discussing with Douglas Cobb. His book is called And Then the End Will Come, the Completion of the Great Commission, and Nine Other Clues that Jesus is Coming Soon. Doug, I want to pick up on what you were saying before we went to the break. You were right referencing the prophecies in the book of Daniel. And you mentioned chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. I wanted to read those for people. And it says, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. Now, people will recognize that phrase, the abomination of desolation, because the Lord uses that same phrase in Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse. So what are we to understand from this as far as this being a prediction of sorts of the second coming of the Messiah? Well, you know, that is maybe the most, one of the most enigmatic passages in all of Scripture. And, you know, I've, I've personally had the privilege to teach through Daniel three times. And every time when I've reached the end, I've said, look, you know, really, there's no good understanding of what this means. People have different theories and approaches to it. But, um, but in the course of researching the book, I discovered an idea that uh, I'd never thought of before, I'd never seen before, and as I thought through it, I really was impressed with it. And the the key, there's two keys to understanding it. One is to understand what it means by the end of the sacrifice. And in the book, I explain that, you know, I think in context, the best way to understand that is to think of it as when the sacrifice ended during the Babylonian captivity. The audience for that message is Daniel. Right. Daniel knew that had happened when he heard that. That would have been the immediate thing that would have come to his mind is the you know, Babylonian destruction of the temple. 
And so I think that's the right starting point for counting. And then the second key is to understand that that idea of the abomination of desolation, uh, although we see it a bunch in scriptures, it doesn't mean just one thing. It actually has multiple fulfillments. There have been at least two or three fulfillments in the past, and probably will be one more in the future. And because of that, um, it really describes a class of things that have a set of characteristics. And that opens the door to, uh, you know, what I think is a pretty interesting explanation that we present in the book, that the, that abomination may actually be already standing there on the Temple Mount, and <laughs> that it's been there for almost 1,335 years. And so, uh, again, as I said a minute ago, I, I think that this may be a prophecy where God revealed to Daniel the timing of the second coming as he did the timing of the first. Incredible. Well, now we go back to that verse I'd referenced at the outset from Matthew 24, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. This is concerning the return of Christ. You actually say this verse offers a massive hint about the return of Christ, which is interesting to me. What is that hint exactly? Well, it's interesting. Another thing I learned as I was doing my research is that 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 phrase, no one knows the hour of the day, may actually be a Jewish idiom that points to one of the seven feasts, the the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, And um, I go through in the book why it had that name, why the the start of the Feast of Trumpets is different from all the other feasts. It's the only one that begins on the first day of the month with the new moon. Um, at best, at, at worst, you know, I think people overinterpret that verse to say we can't know anything about the timing of Jesus' return, and I don't think that's what it says. It says we can't know specifically, precisely, the hour or the, the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. But even in that same chapter, Jesus says, you know, when you see these things occurring, you'll know that the end is near. He, he, in the same chapter, he's not going to tell you it's impossible to know anything about it, and then give you a bunch of signs yeah. that, that point to it. So, I think that's a good warning against, um, you know, trying to guess, you know, exactly when Jesus is going to come. We don't try to pick a year even in the book. We just say that all the signs say it's going to be soon. But it may be an intriguing hint that, it, you know, his return will occur on, um, you know, during a specific feast, the Feast of Trumpets. So interesting, because you do reference this idea that Jesus, not idea, but the fact that Jesus has fulfilled or will fulfill the seven feasts of Israel, which is something that people really need to get their minds around. This is fascinating, because he was born on tabernacles, he died on Passover, he was buried on the unleavened bread, he rose again on the first fruits, he sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, so you've got left the trumpets, referencing the rapture, as you say, and the atonement, which is the second coming. So two more feasts yet to fulfill is what you're saying. I will be very surprised if those are not fulfilled with some set of events during his second coming, because having fulfilled five, I I just am convinced that the other two are going to be fulfilled as well. Amazing. Well, getting back to the Great Commission, which is the main focus of your book, when the Lord says the gospel will be proclaimed in the whole world before the end comes, many Christians wonder, does that mean every single person on earth will hear the gospel or have a Bible? How do we measure the completion of the Great Commission? Because you're talking about people groups, but there are others who go, well, what about every single, does that mean every single person has to have an in-person gospel presentation? How do we figure out if the whole world has been reached? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. That's really too, it's not something that's made clear in Scripture. We know that historically that has not been true, that many people have sadly have been born and died without having heard the gospel. And so I, I'm not sure that I would argue that it has to be different in the future than it has been in the past. 
But the one thing that we absolutely know is that Jesus said um, that, you know, every nation will hear. When John is having his vision, he sees this great multitude around the throne of God praising him. And he says, you know, there were men and women from every tongue, tribe, language, and people in that group. And so it's already happened, right? John's already seen it uh, in God's uh, economy. It's already a done deal. And I'm convinced that, you know, God will actually accomplish that. It's so neat. Now, when you're talking about these remaining people groups, where exactly are they? Are we talking about islands out in, you know, out in the middle of the ocean or, or some particular parts of countries? Where basically are these people groups that have not yet heard the gospel? Yeah, they're scattered around the world. Um, in general, they're in inaccessible places. So half in mountains or way out in deserts, deep in jungles, that would be typical. Interestingly, a, a very large number of the remaining groups on the list are in the country of China. Hmm. Uh, these are minority people groups in the southern and western regions of China that have never been uh, engaged with the gospel. It, it's really kind of stunning when you hear that, because we all have heard the stories about how there are now maybe 100 million or more evangelical Christians in China, and you wonder how, how could they have missed these these 60-some uh, people groups. And the, the exciting thing is, is that, like, this is in real time. We had a conference call about this last week. The church in China is beginning to mobilize very rapidly toward those remaining groups in China, and I believe are on about the same timeline we've been talking about on this call, that within the next year or so, uh, the church in China will be actively engaging all of those um, all of those groups. That is so exciting. In the midst of increasing persecution, too, over in China. Really a tough, really tough there. Yeah. So it's not going to be easy, but I'm persuaded that they'll 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 give it a go. Wow. So now when we look at the pages of Scripture, the Lord is always telling us to be prepared because we don't know he will mm-hmm. come like a thief in the night. What do you say to Christians about being prepared for the return of Christ, which could be at any time? Well, you know, we have a tendency to think about this as, well, maybe that'll happen, but probably not in my lifetime, and so it's not something I have to worry about. fact is, of course, it could be any moment for any one of us. Either he's coming to us or we're going to him. We have no idea when that will be. But but if it's true that, um, you know, these signs do point to the you know, likelihood that we will be the generation to see the return of Jesus. I, for one, I just feel like I want to really be ready for that, right? And interestingly, the Bible has, um, you know, a lot of interesting advice for believers in this day. You know, we need to be prepared to stand firm because, you know, the last days are not going to be easy days culturally or sadly even inside the church. And it specifically says we need to stand together. We need to be, you know, closely connected to each other as believers. Um, a verse that I've kind of adopted as a personal life verse for myself is in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Peter begins that chapter by talking about the coming judgment, and so he asks rhetorically in verse 11, what kind of people ought you to be? He says, we should live holy and godly lives looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So mm-hmm. holy, set apart, different, distinctive, Godly, like Jesus, you know, fruit of the Spirit in increasing measure, looking for, God wants us to be excited and eager for the return of His Son. And then that last bit, hastening the coming. Well, how can I do that? You know, that's kind of mysterious. What is, what's possible? Well, kind of circles back to where we started. If Jesus said, look, I, I'll come back when you finish this task I've given you, then the one thing it seems to me we can do to hasten His coming is to hasten to finish the task. That's and right. 
you know, um, we're trying to do that with the finishing fund, but everybody can have a role in that by praying, by giving. For some people, it means going. Uh, for everybody, it should mean telling people about Jesus, our family, and our, our you know, our friends and associates. So Amen. we can all have a role in that. Absolutely. It's exciting. Very exciting days we're living in. The name of the book, And Then the End Will Come by Douglas Cobb. And Doug, it was so great to have you here. Thank you very much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You bet. God bless you. Join us to help open the floodgates and send Bibles to Africa through our campaign with Bible League International. $5 sends one Bible, and right now if you give that gift, you'll send two Bibles. Let's get to the end of the task. 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. Thank you so much.